2: Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision.
1: In our modern world, we're all dealing with the overwhelming amount of information. Uh, There's so much available. Our ability to think clearly and prioritize is affected to the point where, if we're not careful, our understanding of Christianity and this wonderful message of the gospel can become distorted. So a conversation today about how we build a biblical Christian worldview. Now, that's an interesting word for some. Our worldview, pardon me, is our overall view of the world. It's our fundamental beliefs. It's the lens that we use to approach the big questions about our existence. It's how we understand who we are and where we came from and why we're here. In just a couple of words, it's about how to think Christianly. Well, for Christians, of course, that starts with God revealing himself to humanity and starting in the early chapters of Genesis. And it's how we view our purpose in the context of God's purposes. Stu Miller is the founder of Train to Proclaim. He's back with us today, and we'll talk about these sorts of issues as the hour unfolds. Shortly, we'll open our talk back lines. But, Stu Miller, a special welcome back to 2020. Thank you, Neil. Great to be back. Now, Stu, just before we dive into the depths of this conversation, because, uh, you know, it could get quite deep, uh, welcome mm-hmm. back, because you've just Thank done you. a fairly significant... A series of seminars across New Zealand, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, just uh, give us a little bit of an insight into how you went over in New Zealand. Oh, it's great! We just had three months in New Zealand. We had a lot of travelling
0: around, uh, shifted eighteen times in three months uh, with the family—my four kids and wife and tow. <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, yeah, lots of uh, training seminars, teaching people how to share the gospel message. There's a hunger in Christians to want to share this amazing message with others and because uh, we know that God's changed our lives, and we want to see uh, the best for other people. We want to see their eternities affected, and uh, it's a wonderful thing to be able to share Christ with people. But, but many Christians don't know how to do it, so we've just been teaching them how to use the G7 app uh, as I've been traveling around, and, uh, and that's available for any of the listeners if you want to get
1: it as well. And you've come back with an even deeper New Zealand accent, which some <laughs> listeners will pick up on. <laughs> it, it, it'll wear off now. <laughs> hey, let's get into a conversation today, which I think is really a, an important conversation. And, uh, but I must say, the first thing we might be thinking is that. Well, Stu, we're talking about Christianity and, you know, we talk about Christianity every day on mm-hmm. 2020. We love talking about it, but some mm-hmm. people will say, well, there seems to be an awful lot of world religions and here we are as Christians. And, and you know, mm-hmm. there's ways that we might say, how do we differentiate ourselves as Christians? Because uh, aren't we just one of a big bunch? Uh, mm. What are your thoughts if we talk about world views here today? What are your thoughts for that? Well
0: every uh, religion in the world falls into three categories. You're either a, th- a polytheist, which means that you believe in many gods, a monotheist, which you believe in only one god, or an atheist and you believe in no god. And so in those three categories you can if you wanted to to make three boxes you could put all the all the religions in the world into those three boxes because it has to be one of those three. It has to be true. Because if there's no god, Neil, then there can't be one God or many gods because there's no God. But if there is only one God, like we would believe as Christians, then there can't be no God because there's a a God. (laughs) And there can't be many gods because there's only one God. And if there's many gods, then clearly the other two worldviews are wrong because there can't be no God and there can't be only one God because there's many gods. So when you think through that, and it's a great thing for us to to sort of get in our minds because – In our postmodern age that we live in, a lot of people just go, oh, everybody's right. Everybody's right. And I say, well, that just can't be true because an atheist can't be right at the same time as a Hindu who believes in many gods and a Christian who believes in only one God. One of those camps has to be right, and the other two have
1: to be wrong by definition. So, if we say that there is such a thing as truth, mm-hmm. that one of them is true, uh, then that means that uh, some of them have to be not true. That's true. Uh, all of the rest of them have to be not true, and it's one of those uh, issues that some people, you know, criticise Christians because we have this sort of you know, uh, we steadfastly hang on to this idea that mm. uh, God is true and let every man be a liar. I mean, right. this is the whole thing that Christianity yes. is very proud of. And unless we're actually mm. are confident and proud of that fact, mm. uh, then uh, somehow or other we're just wishy-washy people, aren't we?
0: Absolutely. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Now, that's a. some people view that as a very bigoted statement. It's a very, you know, narrow-minded. I'm the truth, and that's all there is to it. You know, like, and to state that for some people is just that's just overwhelming. Like, how can you say that you're, you're such a bigot? You're saying everyone else is wrong, but the reality is, is Jesus was either lying or he's telling the truth. He either is the way, the truth, and the life, or he's not. And we can't have it both ways. We can't say, oh no, everybody's right. Everybody's right because
1: if Jesus is right. Then you need to follow him, and he is the only way, and everyone else is wrong. <laughs> yeah. so uh, this idea, and as you mentioned those words, uh, postmodern, this postmodern mm. idea that everybody's got their own truth, and uh, you know, let's just be nice to everybody. They can believe what they want to believe is true. I'll believe what I'm believing is true, but of course that doesn't mix because – there is only one truth, somebody mm. is being deceived. Yep. Now, interesting word that deception word, mm-hmm. and I know that if we were even going to the scriptures, uh, uh Matthew 24 and uh, where those places are that Jesus says when the disciples are asking him, you know, what it'll it be like in the end times, it's mm. like, you know, uh, be careful that no one deceives you. That's and right. so Clearly, there must Mm. be some deception in there and sometimes we need to take stock, Mm. Stu, that Mm. we're not the ones who are being deceived. Mm. So you've got to open yourself up and say, well, let's ask the hard questions. Am I the one being deceived here? Mm. Uh, Are there there lots of gods or is there no God? That's right. But of course, when we look at the evidence, we discover that, hang on a second, we Mm. can be confident because Mm. we have evidence that there is our God.
0: That's right. And I, and I think, um, I mean, the starting point, we've got to say there is truth. For someone to say there is no truth, I mean, that's a truth statement to to begin with. Someone says to me there is no truth, I say, is that true? <laughs> because, I mean, you just can't hold that position. We we don't live life like that. We we can't say, I don't come into the studio today and, and you say to me, hey, have you, have, have you got your mic, Stuart? And I go, well, if you believe I've got my mic, I've got it. If you don't. I, I won't have it. Uh, you know, we, we, well, I've either got the mic, and I'm speaking into it right now, and listeners are hearing, or they're not. <laughs> but we just we just can't live life like this. You know, we, we live our whole lives based on truth, and yet when it comes to talking about whether God's there, all of a sudden, for the postmodern person, there is no truth. You know, God can be there and not be there at the same time, and that's completely okay. Well, it's not okay. It's logically inconsistent. It makes no sense at all. And the rules don't change when you start talking about God as opposed to everyday life. You know,
1: Stu, so. uh, what about the fence sitter person? Because right. uh, you know we talk about uh, believing there is one God or no God or many gods. Uh, where do you put the person who says, "Well, I'm, I'm an agnostic. I'm hmm. just proudly believing that I got no idea." <laughs> <laughs>
0: Absolutely. And there's, there's some agnostics will acknowledge that they don't have any idea. Others will just say you cannot know. Uh, so there's sort of two categories of agnostics. So the first one that this says I, I have no idea, I'd say let, that's correct. You, you don't have any idea, um, but it doesn't mean that one of those camps is not right there has to be either a God or no God or many gods. One of those camps still has to be correct, even though you're agnostic and you're not sure which of those camps is right. For the agnostic that says, well, no one can know, no one can know the truth. Well, I would ask them, how do you know that no one can know? You're actually making an absolute true statement by saying no one can know. Where did you get such divine knowledge from that you can know that no one can know the truth? Because someone might have discovered the truth, and it's just that you haven't discovered the truth yet, and so just because you haven't discovered the truth doesn't mean it's not there.
1: So let's talk about our God, uh, yes. the God of the Bible. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talk about the Judeo-Christian God sure. uh, because we have the Jewish scriptures, you have the Christian scriptures, mm-hmm. uh, because He has, we believe, revealed Himself mm-hmm. to humanity. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that an important element, do you think, when we're talking about having this idea of a Christian worldview? And uh, if we're confident in that, we can actually then use that as a lens to be able to understand things that are going on around us. What about this whole issue of God revealing himself?
0: Definitely, absolutely important, because without God revealing himself to us, it's really just our own thoughts on what religion is. or And many, many people have made up religions. I mean, every man-made religion in the world has been made up by a, 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 some sort of spiritual guru, guru or leader of some sort. Now, Neil, I could make up my own religion, call it the Stew religion. I could even try and convince you to follow my religion, and I could yep. get a bunch of followers. But does not make it true? No, it's just Stew's opinion on what, what life's about. And so man-made religion will always just be someone's opinion. And you can always argue against that and have different religions clashing on their opinion on You know, and be mutually exclusive against each other. Uh, But if God reveals himself to us, that makes a massive difference. Because without divine revelation, how can we trust our own reasoning? How can we trust our own judgments?
1: How can we trust what, what we think is right because someone else thinks something completely different? Uh, Well it's interesting when we talk about a worldview because Mm -hmm. everyone has one whether it's a Christian worldview or not. Mm -hmm. Then we add that word to that uh, at the beginning. We say Christian worldview but even then that's a little bit uh, airy-fairy. So when I talk about these sorts of things and I'll get your thoughts on this I often say a biblical Christian worldview and uh, listeners to this program will know that you know, vision has set this sort of parameter. We're talking mm. about a biblical Christian worldview because we believe that the Bible is one of the ways that God has revealed himself to humanity. So we're starting to sort of, you know, focus in on mm. on what it is mm. that makes things true and real. What are your thoughts for the biblical Christian worldview? We
0: are focusing more now, and uh, you're absolutely right because when people say the word Christian, uh, there's about 59% of the population of Australia said that they were Christian in the last census and some uh, said they were associated with some denomination of some sort. Now, for people to think that they're a Christian, and if you were to randomly do a survey on the street, are you a Christian? Many, many people would say yes, but they don't actually understand what the word Christian means unless they actually hear the gospel message, and this is one of the reasons I'm so strong in teaching Christians how to proclaim the gospel, people won't know that they're not a Christian because they think, oh, my grandmother was an Anglican, therefore I'm an Anglican. Is, is that what we are, honey? Yep, Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we're Anglicans. They have no relationship with Jesus Christ. They've never actually become born again. They've never actually had that transformation. They've never had that experience where they've, they've become a Christian and surrendered their life over to Jesus. And yet they think, I'm a good person, I believe in God. Basically, that's the, the, the mantra of people today. I'm a Christian because I'm a good person and I believe in God. But, of course, we know that being a, none of us are good <laughs> compared to God's standards. We've all blown up, we've all sinned. And all of us, if we were to stand before a holy God, the creator of the universe, and be judged by his standards and not our own, all of us would fall short. But God's made a way for all of us to come into relationship with him by sending his son, Jesus, to die for us, to pay the punishment for the wrong things we've done wrong. And it's only when we surrender our lives to him and we make a commitment to turn away from the wrong things of our lives, then he promises forgiveness and a relationship with him. And that's what a Christian really is. So understanding a biblical Christian worldview is very different than when someone just says they're a Christian or thinks that they've got a Christian worldview. It's got to come back, well, what does the Bible say a Christian actually is?
1: Well, interesting that you talk about you know the last census and those mm. things, and I think it was actually fifty-two percent. Okay, and uh, so the numbers they are shrinking. I think, I think it was the previous one to that. I was yes, 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 <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, but uh, there is certainly a bigger religiousness, and I think that sure. might go to that sort of figure. But so you've got this fifty-two percent of mm. people in Australia who say yes, I'm a Christian. And do you know what? There are times, I'm sure, when we embrace that 52% and say, uh, we honour you for making that decision to stand and say, you believe that you are a Christian. Mm. And uh, really, we don't want to get into a sort of a judgmentalism that says those people are not Christians, because in a certain sense, and sometimes we might call that a nominal uh, Christian, someone who is a Christian by name, Mm -hmm. but they might not necessarily be a practising Christian. But that's still good for them to be able to nominate nominate that they are, in fact, a Christian. But as you say, there is this biblical Christian worldview, Mm -hmm. and it's the worldview that aligns itself with God as the revealer, God as creator, Mm -hmm. and that number is much smaller within that number. And, uh, you know, without getting judgmental across denominations because uh, denominations are different and sometimes believe a little bit different things and it's a little Mm. bit of a sense of pride that we could have that Mm. that we might think we're better in one denomination than in another but we all can acknowledge that the bible is god's revealed word and so when we come to his word we're all participating then in that revelation
0: Mm. And my apologies to the Anglicans. I wasn't meaning to, to uh, say anything about didn't Anglicans think you said there. I did anything about it. <laughs> I just I said, hey, well, I'm an Anglican, aren't I? Well, it, it doesn't, it could be any, any denomination at all if you've got a family heritage, but that family heritage doesn't make you a Christian. And so, you know, I appreciate you saying we we can't judge, and that's true. But the Bible was very clear about what a Christian is and what a, what a Christian isn't. And I think that there's many in our society who are Christian by name only, but actually, that the, the the most loving thing we can do to them is say, "Hey, what does the Bible actually say being a Christian is?" Because some people may be deceived into thinking, "I'm a Christian, I'm okay, I'm going to meet God one day, I'm going to heaven, everything's okay." When, unless you've surrendered your life over to Jesus Christ, and uh, made that commitment yourself, then, uh, you can't just say, oh, I'm a Christian because I was born into a Christian family. Uh, coming a Christian, you know, by going to church or being born into a Christian family is like going to McDonald's and becoming a hamburger. It doesn't work, <laughs> doesn't work that way. There's got to be a commitment, a personal commitment and a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So if you're in, if you're listening today, we're not trying to, I'm not trying to be judgmental at all. I think the most loving thing as we can we can do is have a look at this and say well am I a Christian according to what the Bible
2: says. Helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on vision.
1: Wonderful to have you along with us. Our special guest this hour is Stu Miller. He's the founder of Train to Proclaim. So therefore he is an evangelism trainer. Uh, loves to do seminars, loves to train people on how they can become efficient in the way that they are actually able to share the gospel with others because, as Stu will say, and I'm putting your words in your mouth here. I don't uh, <laughs> want to be accused of verbaling you, but uh, we've had so many conversations. Uh, sure. but, uh, but you want people to be able to share the gospel beyond just the idea of your friends. We've got to be able to share the gospel with all sorts of people, even if they're strangers and we haven't met mm. them. So those mm. people, if in that moment, they're coming into contact with a Christian worldview. For some mm. people, that's like the first time. Sure, And people have all sorts of ideas, no doubt, about what the Christian worldview is because there's an awful lot of people who want to make criticism of Christians because they already think they know what we believe. That's right. But clarifying what we do believe is going to give us a level of confidence, isn't it, Stu, that when we do share our faith with others that we're actually sharing the truth?
0: Absolutely. And I think it's really important to understand what we believe and why we believe it. Because if we don't understand what we believe or why we believe it, uh, people, when there is criticisms come, we don't know what we're actually standing on. We don't know what it is that we actually are representing or why we're, we're representing that that uh, the truth. So understanding and having good, well-reasoned, um, uh, articulated uh Arguments for, you know, arguments, the wrong word, but uh, as to why we believe what we believe is very,
1: very important. Okay, let me dive into the deep water here because some people might say Mm -hmm. uh, if you're only talking about arguments, somehow or other you have just intellectualized the gospel Sure, uh, and there are some other dimensions to the gospel. Like the love and the compassion and those sorts of things that we have that bring out that expression of God and at work in us, uh, that are are equally and as strongly a part of the whole mix. Uh, What are your thoughts for the idea of? uh, Because not everybody is going to be able to intellectualise all of the arguments. Now it's all right to argue something, but uh, if you know, sometimes takes a long time to learn those arguments to be able to use those arguments.
0: Sure, and I think I would encourage every Christian person to to study apologetics, which is not apologizing; it's the study of of uh, giving a defence of of the faith, and so understanding why we 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 believe what we believe. I definitely encourage every Christian because there's not a a million questions out there. There tends to be you know, about 20 questions that get asked all the time and if you can learn good answers to those then you are ready to give an account of the hope that's within you. You're ready to actually uh, give a well-reasoned cohesive answer to someone who asks you an intelligent question. So I think the intelligence is very important because we do live life on a cerebral level rather than an emotional level. And so uh, we need to be convinced in our mind that this is actually right. If you just have an emotional experience at a at a at some rally or conference or uh, outreach and you, you're all emotional when you have an experience and you think, oh, that's great, but then the next day there's no more sound or lights or band or uh, emotion or atmosphere and you're back to everyday life. So ha- if you haven't been convinced in your mind, then you're still going to be of the same opinion still the next day and the next day and the next day. So there has to be... And, understanding. and that's why I think uh, a lot of the times, you know, when we look at reading the scriptures, these words understandings and reasonings and, and other things, you know, Paul reasoned with people in the synagogues. You know, uh, the Bible says he who hears and understands will bear much fruit, some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. So there's when you're looking at some of these words, it's all to do with the realm of the mind. And so I'm not saying it's the only realm because obviously, there's the you know, people can be too intellectual as well. But, there's, but both are very important, and we should never write off in any way the intellect because we've got to understand
1: what we believe. And is that because it's even more important today because Christianity is under attack? Right. Uh, in fact, uh, people are emboldened in their own anti-Christian stance mm. uh, to the point where they feel like they can be a critic or call some names, as, uh, as often is the case. Uh, mm-hmm. Calling names is like the criticism, sure. uh, no evidence for what you're actually arguing opposite. But but the fact that we're under attack means that we do have to be intellectually on the edge and Mm -hmm. understand at least some of these arguments. You might not understand those whole 20 arguments that you're talking about but I imagine you start with one.
0: Yeah, start with one and work your way through. And and I think the more that you engage with non-church people and the more that you share the gospel with people, which I'd encourage every Christian to do, uh, the sharper you become as a Christian, the more switched on you are because you start getting uh, – you have to actually seek out answers to these questions. You have to actually uh, understand more um, about what you believe and why you believe it. And so, going back to the heart thing though neil, and I think this is this is a really important thing when you 're talking with someone where, that starts name calling or starts to get heated because i i, I wouldn 't advocate anyone get into arguments with people because it just seems to get you nowhere i 've been twenty five years as a full time evangelist and i 've gone into lots of arguments in, in the early days yep. and I try to avoid it now if someone 's got a genuine inquiry and, and i 've got you know intelligent questions I, I love to discuss with people, but if it starts getting into an argument. The harder you push, the harder they're going to push. You're not going to get anywhere. Um, The better just to love them and to you know uh, finish up the conversation because you're you're not going to get make much progress. But I think going back to the heart, and I think that is a really important thing in the way that we do discuss things, is that we are loving and graceful, and peaceable in the way that we approach a discussion with people, and respectful and honouring of that person, because that will speak volumes. Even if they may not agree with our argument, our our point of view, they will certainly sense the spirit and the love that we show them. And I see that in in our community uh, and the, the discussions that we have on abortion and homosexuality and all these different things that, you know, there's often a, a well reasoned, loving, uh, thoughtful, cohesive argument brought, and then the opposite is just you bigot, you homophobe, you, you yep. narrow minded. You know, it's just name yep. calling, name calling, mm-hmm. name calling, and it's like, well, what's your argument? <laughs> yep. And then, but there's grace and love on the other side, and I think when people see that, they they should be able to see through it and see. Um, you know the truth and the love that's shown by Christians
1: and that grace and love is very much an activity it's Mm. not just because we're out of the realms of intellect when we're talking about grace and love yes and that would be why we would really honor and support those Christian ministries that are on the front line whether they're dealing with uh, domestic violence situations or uh, helping people to get through their addictions and Mm. you know the charity base Mm. in Australia is huge, and the majority of the charities are Christian-founded charities. Absolutely. And that says volumes uh, for the fact that you're not just intellectualizing the gospel, Mm. uh, because there are your brothers and sisters working hard on the front Mm. lines with that compassion and that love and that reaching out and meeting the needs in people. But then this doesn't mean we ought not to not engage in this intellectualising so some of these arguments and I I imagine that it's not so much learning an argument but learning just that, that there is some ways that conversations start and some ways that conversations evolve, and how do you bring in to those conversations this message of the gospel? And uh, just a quick, uh, quick response, to you, about thirty seconds.
0: <laughs> well, first of all, I'd, I would use questions rather than arguing your point of view. Uh, ask questions about what other people believe. Be genuinely interested. Be authentically interested in what other people believe. I, I am fascinated by, by why people believe some of the things that they believe. And when the more questions I ask, the more people get tied up in knots, and they really. They sort of really don't know why they believe. And then they ask me the question, what do you believe? And that's when I pull out my G7 app, Neil. (laughs) (laughs) I I show them a quick presentation
1: of of the Christian faith, and it makes sense. Which really makes things a whole lot easier when you're using the technology to that advantage. Stu Miller is the founder of Train to Proclaim. He's back with us today and talking through some of these issues. Let's come back to these fundamental questions here, Stu, about, mm. uh, you know, as Christians, how do we know that we have the right one? How do mm. we know? Is there is there some way that in building our biblical Christian understanding of how to think that we ought to have these foundations of understanding? Mm. What are your thoughts for, uh, for where we find ourselves as Christians?
0: Well, it's very complicated if we were to, to look at like the 6,000 plus relig- religions in the world and sort of try and study every single one of those and go, well, which one's right? You know, or is none of them right? Uh, going back to those three categories that we talked about, either atheism monotheism or polytheism. So the belief that there are no God, atheism, believe in only one God, monotheism, or believe in polytheism or there's many gods. So one of those camps has to be true. The other two have to be right. Because if there's no God, there cannot be one God or many gods. If there's one God, there can't be many gods. There can't be no God. And if there is many gods, There can't be only one God and there can't be no God. So one of those camps is right and one of them and two of them are wrong. So let's start with atheism. Uh, To believe in atheism, you have to believe that everything came out of nothing by nobody for no reason. That we are just insignificant atoms that came together by chance. Somehow, came into existence by nobody.
1: (laughs) Okay, uh, as we can actually say here, and uh, for a long time, regular listeners to this program, well, you know that the evidence for that atheism one is Mm. just not there. It's just no evidence for for the atheist position. There is no god. There is no purpose. There's no reason for anything. Because we talk about this every day, and we deliver Mm. on evidence for that every day of the week of sure. 2020. Okay, so you've got that atheism one. Uh, okay. What's this other one? You mentioned polytheism, the idea sure. that there's lots of gods, and we might be thinking of the Hindu religion, where there's sure. millions of gods, not just lots, millions of gods. That's right, uh, millions and, of and millions so, of gods. And uh, so that one, how do we sort of see that that one in context?
0: Well, I think we, we've, got to, we've got to look at, at how those religions came about, and most polytheistic religions uh, gods are based on something like the god of the sun, god of the moon, god of luck, god of fortune, god of this and that, and so um, people have taken particular items and have associated a god with it. Now we know scientifically now that there is no, uh, you know, god holding the world on this on his shoulders like people used to believe, and there's no uh, god. You know, of the sun, we know it's a big ball of flaming fire and, <laughs> and gases. So, science has, has helped us actually uh, disprove a lot of the the polytheistic religions. And when we look at those sort of things and look at the origins of them, really they've been ma- made up by a man. There is no divine revelation there, uh, and it's been proven scientifically wrong a lot of those aspects. So, uh, many of the the, the polytheistic religions, um, most people, if they took a good, honest look at it, it doesn't actually stand up to logic, consistent, cohesive reasoning. Uh, the only one that really stands is, is there a God, some creator, some supernatural being that put this world and universe into motion? And if he is, who is he? And so when you come that to that, you come to monotheism. Monotheism is Judaism, Islam, Christianity. Now, there's a number of others as well, but they're the three majors in the world. And uh, Judaism uh have the, the same roots as Christianity. We we the judeo Christian values, you know. That's right. Uh we come from the, the exactly the same Old Testament. But the Jews uh, uh Judaism does not have the New Testament because uh they still believe in the prophecies in the Old Testament about the coming Messiah there's a Messiah that's going to come and save the world. And so they're still waiting for the Messiah. Uh, this, this is great news. Christianity's great news for Jude- Judaism because the Messiah has come. And when you look at those prophecies, and there's about 204 of these prophecies, and you go through them one by one, and you ask a, a person, uh, a Jew, would, would you know uh, anyone in history that would line up with all of these? And when you go through one by one, Jesus fits the bill. And uh, and so for for some um, people who are uh, involved in this religion, they just have have been taught from a young age, you no, know, Jesus isn't the Messiah, he isn't the Messiah. But I would encourage you, if you have been taught this, have a good look at your own scriptures and see whether Jesus fits the bill, because he does, and it's, he's proved it through all the miracles that he did. He's proved it through rising from the dead and the whole. Evidence behind the resurrection from the dead is, is incredible, and we can go into that another time, but uh, it's amazing. Uh, this is not any just human being coming along and saying, I'm the Messiah. This is the Messiah. This is the Chosen One. This is God coming to earth and revealing himself to us. So that's Judaism.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yep. Good little summary there. But uh, in a sense here, we've got uh, Judaism, and uh, their scriptures are our Old Testament scriptures. That's And so somehow or other we think of our Christianity as being separate to Judaism. And in fact, our Christianity builds on Judaism because the coming Messiah, Mm. who we would see as Jesus, is Mm. the one who actually brings this blessing of God beyond the people that he formed in the Old Testament and mm-hmm. takes this to the Gentiles or the or the non-jewish nations around the world so Jesus is right. the one who actually opens up this wonderful blessing of God to the whole world so we are the continuation of what God has already begun through right. the Old Testament and then into the New Testament we see this is the way that the Gentile nations hear of this good news absolutely and it, and it's saddens my heart uh, that Judaism is stuck back 2,000
0: years ago, back with just the Old Testament and haven't been released into the new uh, and to know the Messiah and know the salvation that comes through Jesus Christ and knowing him personally. So it's, it's such a wonderful thing to know Jesus and to know that salvation that we have in him.
1: I want to invite listeners to join in our conversation. Our talk back line is open, and you might have your own thoughts on how your own Christian worldview has developed, because uh, this often starts, Stu, in our early years. Maybe mm. our parents sent us along to Sunday school, children's church, and these things started to develop. We started to hear Bible stories. We started mm. to hear, you know, uh, David and Goliath and mm. uh, all sorts of wonderful Bible stories which helped to shape. Resilience in us and also appreciation of what God was doing in His people in the Old Testament and then of course the stories of Jesus, Mm. His miracles. All of these things help to shape who we are and what we think about life. Uh, so if we're talking about how our worldview is shaped and how it's grown, mm. we must look back somehow or other on the things that have shaped us in the past. Sometimes we might look back and say there hasn't been much of a shaping at all. <laughs> or maybe a wrong shaping. Or a wrong shaping. <laughs> I'm off on, You know, this is the shaping that came, which might be in the realm of what we were talking about a little bit earlier. I've mm. been deceived. Uh, The realization that I've been deceived and that these things are right, uh, that's a confronting thing for some. Absolutely.
0: And if you look within Christianity, there's hundreds and hundreds of different denominations. All believing slightly different things about what the scriptures say, and within denominations, there's hundreds and hundreds of different perspectives. And uh, it's sometimes we could look at that and go, "Oh my goodness, we're, we're a bit of a mixed bag, aren't we? We've got all these different perspectives. What's what is actually true? We're all claiming that, our, and passionately that our theology is the right theology, and that it, others have got it wrong, and we've got it right." Well, I'm pretty confident, Neil, that when I stand before God when I come into his presence and, you know, receive all knowledge, that I'm going to have everything right. No, I'm not. (laughs) No, I'm confident that I'm going to have a whole lot of things that are wrong. And I can say that. And not be ashamed of that because what I am confident of is that I know that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the one that God sent to save me from the things that I've done wrong, to pay the punishment for the things that I've done wrong and make that way possible to know God and to live with him forever. Now, whether I'm an amillennialist or, you know, I believe in pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib, but whatever theology I've got on a whole lot of different doctrines in the church, actually, at the end of the day, it won't matter. What matters is, did Jesus die for our sins? Has he made the way possible to be forgiven, have a relationship with God and to be with him? forever in heaven. That is the key thing. And that's what unites all of us as Christians. No matter what denomination we go to, no matter what theologies we've got, every person who calls himself a Christian must understand the basic fundamentals of the faith. And that's why the gospel is so important.
1: Now, the gospel becomes uh, something of a starting point uh, yes. for people who recognize that they were raised with a different worldview mm-hmm. or they were under some level of deception. Mm-hmm. And so it's a little bit like, you know, if you've been in the darkness all this time and someone flicks on the switch, mm-hmm. all of a sudden a light comes on. And I know there's all sorts of good illustrations around uh, Jesus being the light of the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this idea of this gospel message being the the starting point mm. really this is where your Christian world view is going to begin isn't it uh, mm. the way you start to believe in Jesus somebody in fact shared with you their own testimony they shared with you this message of the gospel the story of uh, the crucifixion Jesus resurrection uh, the way that we're supposed to believe mm. and then come into relationship with God uh, give us a little bit of an insight here Stu because we're talking about mm. evangelism and this is like the starting point True. but of course We can go on to into our discipleship and growing on to maturity. But uh, take us to this starting point and why this is so important. Well, the gospel
0: really is the message of salvation. Now, some people say the gospel is the gospel of the kingdom, and that is absolutely true. But in order to come into Christ's kingdom, we need to be saved. We need to be saved into that. We need to cross over into the kingdom of God and join Jesus' kingdom and make him the king of our lives. And so the gospel of, you know, the message of salvation, it has three parts to it. It explains why we need to be saved, how we can be saved, and what we need to do in order to be saved. And so the first part, why do we need to be saved? Well, every one of us have broken God's laws. Every one of us, if we were to stand, die and stand before God, On Judgment Day, we'd all fall short of his standards. And the standard for getting into heaven is perfection. The standard for relationship with God is perfection. And we've all blown that. None of us are perfect. But that's where the second part comes in. How does God save us? Well, he sent Jesus Christ down to earth to die on the cross, to be punished for every rotten thing that I've done wrong and you've done wrong. And he's made a way possible for us to make it into heaven. But it doesn't finish there. That's why the third part is so important. We need to respond to what Jesus has done. And that is, what do we need to do in order to be saved? We need to make a commitment to turn away from the wrong things in our lives. The Bible calls this repentance. But in in layman's terms, it's it's making that commitment to turn away from the wrong things in our lives. And the second part is to surrender our lives over to Jesus Christ. And as we do that, the Bible promises us forgiveness he promises us that we become a new creation, like we're a new new person. It talks about being born again. We're like a new new person. We've we've been forgiven. We've been cleansed. Uh, in God's eyes, we're perfect, which is amazing because I look at my life and I go, "What?" <laughs> but God's changing me day by day. And but when He looks at me, He sees through Jesus Christ perfection, and I know I can have a relationship with Him now, and I know I'll go to be with Him in heaven forever. Now that's the basics of the gospel meal and that's uh I would encourage every person who hasn't surrendered their life to Jesus to to do that because it's the most important thing that you can do your whole eternity
1: rests on this decision and it's the start of the Christian worldview. And it is I always acknowledge an important thing to have a starting point for our Christian life. And Mm. I can point to a time when I was 14 years of age when I made a decision to ask Mm. Jesus to come into my heart uh, to make me a new creation so this idea of having a starting point because sometimes we just think oh oh, i've always been a christian it's because my parents were a christian and uh, you know i'm just uh, you know, i just go along with the flow sure. occasionally i go to church uh, call myself a christian or like that 52 percent we were talking about sure. a little bit earlier the australian census uh, well we nominate that we are in fact Christian by name, but that doesn't mean that we're actually Christian by nature. Mm. Uh, this idea of a starting point is a powerful concept. Mm. And uh, for some who are thinking, well, I, don't, I can't really identify a time when there was a starting mm. point, uh, you're saying there, there ought to be an opportunity where you can actually mm. make a decision. And making the decision sometimes is in public uh, mm. because that's the sort of thing that makes it important. Uh, mm. What are your thoughts for actually making these public decisions to follow Christ? Absolutely. I mean, I made a public decision when I was 11 years old. Um, I don't
0: come from a Christian home, and so my my parents have always said they're Christians, but they by that they mean I'm a good person and I believe in God as opposed to I've have a personal relationship with Jesus, I'm born again, I've had I've stepped over the line, I'm part of Jesus's kingdom. He's my king of my life. So that's a different uh perspective, you know, but so they I've always sort of thought God's there. I've been brought up to believe that God's there, but I didn't realize I had to actually surrender my life to Jesus. But when I was 11, I had an experience with God. I had the gospel shared with me clearly, and I had uh, a desire to know God. I thought, how amazing would it be to actually know the creator of the universe, not just know about him or just believe in him, but to know him personally. And so I started that journey when I was 11, and I made a public decision. What I would say is, is Neil, is, is for some people who are brought up in Christian homes, you know, not everyone can remember that exact event. And I wouldn't beat yourself up and go, oh, when, am I not a Christian because I can't remember it? If you've surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, if you've made that commitment to turn away from the wrong things in your life and you follow Jesus with all your heart, you are a Christian. You may not remember stepping over the line, that, but there would have been a point, theologically speaking, at some point where you crossed over from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. You've crossed over, you've become born again but it wasn't as radical for you because you were brought up in that environment as it would have been maybe for me uh, who wasn't.
1: Let's take a call Michael is on the line from Maruya in New South Wales. Hello Michael welcome. Oh hello Neil. Yeah. What are your thoughts Michael? Question
2: uh, I'd like to ask. Um, it was mentioned earlier there if you confront a atheist um, you um, say there's no God you to ask them to give you evidence that there's no God. And if they ask you um, to, to give evidence there is a God, what's the best answer? I, I, I mean, I I know for sure that there is a God, but what's the best answer to if they ask for evidence?
0: I tend to, Michael, um, use the, the word axiom, which is a self-evident truth. Like, you, you can't put God in a test tube and go, look, let's observe him, let's scientifically prove God. But when you know, uh when you see a building, and I often use this illustration, you see a building and you say, is there a builder of that building? Well, I've I've never seen the, the builder, I've never touched the builder, I've never observed the builder, but I know there was a builder because the evidence of the builder is in the building. It's really clear if there's a building, there's got to be a builder. It didn't just evolve over time. And when I see a piece of art, beautiful art, I never go, well, no one painted that because I've never seen the artist. I've never touched him, felt him. I've never put him in a test tube and check that he's actually real. I can't prove that artist, that there was an artist. I cannot prove it scientifically, but the it's self-evident. It's an axiom. It's a self-evident truth. When I see that art, I know there was an artist because it had to be painted by someone. And so when I see a building, there's a builder. When I see art, there's an artist. When I see creation, I know there's a creator. It's a self-evident truth that 99% of this world No, intrinsically we know there's someone out there who's created all this. It couldn't have just come out by you know nothing comes out of nothing, something comes from someone, and so uh, it's it's yeah. So that's how I use it. Um, It may it doesn't always satisfy the atheists, but it's certainly something they can't argue against.
1: Yeah, and Michael. Michael, it's uh, Romans chapter 1 is where the Apostle Paul shares that very thing where he says, uh, you know, all of these things that you see around us, uh, Mm -hmm. there is no excuse because they are, in fact, uh, displaying the handiwork of the Creator. Michael, you had something else to share?
2: Yeah, I was going to say, if you can give scientific proof, proof that there's a God, well, there'd be no need for faith, would there?
1: Well, that's that's a good point, and uh, in some sense, when we talk about faith, uh, faith is in something that you can't see. Uh, Stu, your thoughts on, on this idea? Yeah, f- faith often
0: um, is used by atheists as the sort of blind belief with no evidence to back it up. You know, they they sort of view faith in a different way than what I would. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11 says, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things to come. So there is evidence, there is substance to our faith. It's not based on nothing. We've got so much evidence, uh, the resurrection of Christ, the miracle of the Bible and how it came about, and, and, uh, the, you know, the, the fact that there's nothing, there's something and not nothing. You know, there's a whole lot of evidences that we can bring and a whole lot of arguments we can bring for the existence of God, uh, that, And the fact that Christianity makes sense of the world, where have we come from, where are we going, why are we here, what's our purpose, why is there suffering in the world, what happens after we die, the base questions of life, the only worldview that can actually coherently, consistently, uh, logically answer all of those questions is the Christian worldview. And so I don't think faith is, is something that we just blindly believe in something because we believe in it. It's really based on substance and evidence. And so, um, I would bring that out when I'm talking with an atheist rather than when you use the, the word faith, often I think they reinterpret it to how they think of it.
1: Thank you so much to Michael from Maruya And uh, I wish we could say we're just getting into a warm-up because now there's been a flurry of calls that have been coming through, but we've run out of time. (laughs) We have. Uh, So uh, we'll uh, just always like to draw attention to the app that Mm. you have as part of Train to Proclaim stew. It's called the G7 app. Mm -hmm. And uh, really when we're talking about sharing our faith, uh, we might have a world view that is developing and becoming mature. Uh, But to have something like the G7 app just makes it easy to be able to share the gospel with people. And uh, when people go onto the Train to Proclaim website, they can simply download it from there.
0: Yep. You can link from the Train to Proclaim website or you can go just directly to your app store, uh, Apple App Store or the Play Store if you've got Google. It's on both of the stores. Just type in G7 or Gospel in 7 Gospel IN and the number 7 and it'll pop up. It's a blue icon with G7 written on it. Uh, download it. There's a uh, instructional video on there how to use it. So it's got an internal tutorial on how to use the app. So you can sit at home and learn and uh, you practice it for about an hour and away you go. You'll you have a fantastic presentation of the gospel that doesn't have any jargon. It's really loving. Uh, and really well thought through and the way that it presents.
1: Now go to train2proclaim.com. That's mm-hmm. train2proclaim.com. That's the website for Train to Proclaim. And, of course, Stu is a, an evangelist trainer. And mm. if you wanted to book him for a seminar, he's open to that too. So you can contact Stu Miller through the website, train2proclaim.com. Stu, thanks so much for taking some time and sharing these thoughts with us once again today on 2020. Thank you, Neil.